All right, y'all. Welcome back to the We Know Ball podcast, episode two of this new era. We got a packed show for y'all today. We got the MLB trade deadline right around the corner. Some great storylines going on there. Uh, hopping into the NFL, we got DeAndre Hopkins has a new team and some big time running back drama. And of course, the Jets were announced this week to be the new Hard Knocks team. And this week, we got our Big 12 breakdown. One of the most interesting conferences, I think, in college football. How are you doing today, Gavin? I'm doing well, Jasper. Super excited to talk Big 12, especially. Not as excited to talk Reds baseball, but we're going to have to cover it. Yeah, so let's jump into that right away. The Reds are kind of stumbling out of the gate here, and I'm just going to give you the floor to talk about this team. You know, I don't want to judge us based on our current six-game losing streak because I don't think that's accurately representative of our team and how good we actually are, but... We've been bad coming out of the gates here, and last night was better. Obviously, the uh, offensive explosion for 10 runs, we still lost, but that's what happens when you give Luke Weaver the ball every five days. But coming out of the break, negative 1.1 war as a hitting or as a team hitting in the last seven days, leading the league in strikeout percentage. I think Ellie De La Cruz needs to be banned from posing in home run photos until he can get on base. I mean, the guy cannot lay off the low off-speed stuff. But yeah. that's that's pretty much all I got with our team right now. The pitching's not going to be there until Hunter and Lodolo come back. Even then, it won't be elite. And I think the hitting will come around. It's just been a bad, bad few days. Shout out to the Brewers pitching. They pitched us well. Yeah, and I mean, it's been a tough seven games for Ellie De La Cruz. He's batting 138 in those last seven, and he has 13 Ks. He just can't lay off the low stuff. I mean, McLean's still playing pretty well. He's batting 350 in those last seven. Um, And yeah, I mean, Jonathan India was a trip away from the cycle the other day, so it was nice to see him get hot again. That was his first two-hit game since June 15th, I think, or something like that, though, which is not what you want to see out of a veteran leader, but again... That's what he is, a veteran leader, as is Joey Votto. So just seeing those guys in the lineup every day, that's that's enough for now. Yeah, and how, what are you feeling right now as of deadline moves? As I mean, obviously, this losing streak has made things a little more difficult in the, predicting the future. Well, I think we want to go out and get a couple of arms. And whether they're half-season rentals on a guy like Lucas Giolito or looking more long-term, I don't know what our game plan is, but... We have the capital to go get somebody. As much as I love India, I do think he's tradable. I think that our infield is so loaded with talent that it's not out of the cards to trade one of the guys that's currently producing. And as I said, go get a guy like Giolito. Go get a guy like Cease. Go get a guy like, you know, other arms that are out there. Off the top of my head, I'm blanking right now. But I, I want to see us buy at the deadline. Yeah, absolutely. And another team that's been struggling out of the gate here are the Yankees. Just one win since the All-Star break. They dropped a tough series to my Rockies, and now they're down two straight to the Angels. Um, And this team, like, they can't really seem to get it. Things are getting away from them pretty quick here. Yeah, I'm actually going to give them the benefit of the doubt because, as you mentioned, they did drop two or three to your Rockies, which is raises red flags for any ball club that does that. You <laughs> yeah, don't pretty much lose any games to the Rockies. But... Beyond that, they're nine games back in the East. They're in last place. They're not going to win that division. We know that. That yeah. is going to be the Rays or the Orioles. However, they're only two and a half games back in the wild card. And yeah. to get into the picture, they're going to have to leapfrog Boston, and they're going to have to leapfrog one of Toronto or Houston. Yeah. And I think it's possible, and here's why. They get Aaron Judge back very soon. Aaron Boone in a press conference yesterday said he was super optimistic about the Aaron judge foot injury. Mm -hmm. He's been running around the bases. They expect to have him back early August, potentially end of this month with Aaron judge. They were 11 games over 500. That was the best they were all season without him. They're 14 and 20, the seventh worst record in baseball over that stretch. They've scored the third fewest runs and they have the fourth worst OPS in baseball. Now, that's not to say that he's the answer to all their prayers because it takes nine guys to hit the baseball, but to have him back is going to give them a huge boost. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I mean, I saw their trade deadline kind of wish list according to MLB.com. 
They need to improve. They want to improve catching, starting pitching. They want a bullpen arm, and they want a corner outfielder. So basically, they want to improve everything right now. And I think Josh Donaldson going down for them probably means they're going to go for a corner infielder as well. I know they've been linked to Nolan Arenado, but I don't think the Cardinals are really into moving him. But uh, yeah, I mean, if they don't make a move here in the standings, do you think Aaron Boone is on the hot seat after this year? I think Aaron Boone's been on the hot seat for a year or two now. You know, it's New York, which means they expect you to win. It's the biggest baseball market there is, maybe with the exception of L.A. And if you're not winning, you're going to be on the hot seat. So, yes, I think he's on the hot seat. As it pertains to what they might do with the deadline, I want to see them go out and get a corner outfielder, as you mentioned. They've started nine different players in left field this season. Nine! which is not a winning recipe for any ball club. I think if you go out and get a guy like Cody Bellinger, a left-handed power bat with that short porch and right ability to hit a lot of home runs, I think that could serve them well. You mentioned Nolan Arenado. I think there's a few trade pieces on the Cardinals for the Yankees to potentially target. Nolan Gorman rings a bell. Brendan Donovan. You look at starting pitching, potentially Flaherty, Montgomery. Yeah. I think ways the Yankees can pull off some trades at the deadline and really push for that wild card. Yeah, and it'd be hilarious to see Jordan Montgomery get sent right back from the Cardinals right back to the Yankees <laughs> after that. Um, but yeah, we mentioned the Cardinals. Their president, John Mosaic, came out this week and told the St. Louis Beat that they're officially turning their attention to 2024. They're in full sell mode. Um, and I mean, their wish list is pretty much pitching, pitching, pitching. But they want MLB-ready guys for 2024. They want to get right back to it. So I don't think the Cardinals are really in a position to fully go and rebuild and tear this thing down. But they're looking to reconstruct this roster for sure. Absolutely. And you mentioned the fact that they don't want to fully tear this thing down and rebuild. But if they wanted to, they can. And here's why. Guys on the trading block for the Cardinals. Brendan Donovan, Dylan Carlson, Nolan Arenado, Mike Michaelis, Jack Flaherty, Jordan Montgomery, Jordan Hicks, Ryan Helsley, the list goes on. And these are guys that are going to return a pretty large haul from wherever they are potentially dealt to. So for that reason, they have the ability to tear it down if they want, or they can scale it back a little bit and half tear it down by trading a few of those guys. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know they're linked to Logan Gilbert right now. I think they're looking for guys like that who might be struggling a little bit this year, but can really bounce back in 2024. And Gilbert's obviously shown a lot of signs. I do think Nolan and Goldie are kind of untouchable for them right now, but I would not be surprised if we see like the Tyler O'Neill's and Dylan Carlson's of the world on the move for sure. Jake Flaherty, Jordan Montgomery, both guys on expiring deals, even Jordan Hicks. My question is just kind of what, I think the Yankees are the perfect trade partner for them, but just kind of what value can they get back from the Yankees? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head and the Yankees being an ideal trade partner. You got to go trade with a team that has enough talent in their farm system, but also in the big leagues to, as you mentioned, give them those major league ready guys. I look at who the Yankees have in the farm system. They have guys like Drew Thorpe might be willing to trade. He's in high A right now. Clayton Beater, another right-handed pitcher. Brando Maia, an outfielder. So the Yankees have guys like that that are in the farm system they can trade. Also have guys up in the big leagues like Severino, who's having a really bad year, who they could ship off. And, you know, maybe I think of when you say the Cardinals want big league arms that are necessarily, you know, might be by low right now. I think back to Luis Castillo at the deadline last year with the Reds. He wasn't having the greatest season. He might have been an all-star, but by Castillo's standards, not the greatest. Mariners bought low, and it worked out well for him. Yeah, definitely. Um, And then the biggest team, obviously, or the biggest news in the MLB right now is the Angels are reportedly listening on Shohei. Came out this week that Los Angeles Dodgers and the Padres likely won't be trade partners going into the deadline. But, I mean, I feel like you have to move Shohei if you're the Angels and you want to get anything back. I don't really know. What are your thoughts? there's obviously a case a case for and a case against trading Shohei. I agree with you. I'm on the side of he's got to go because if you're the Los Angeles Angels right now, the only reason to hold on to Shohei, there's two. To make a playoff push because obviously the best player in baseball is going to help you make a playoff push, but also it's to get butts in seats. And I am on the firm belief that 
if you're a GM or an owner, that should not be your goal. Your goal should be to win baseball games. But you have a guy here that can potentially break the American League home run record this year. He's the best two. He's the only two-way talent baseball seen in generations since Babe Ruth. And he's a guy that is going to have the potential to break records down the stretch. And people are going to want to see that. So those are the two reasons to keep Shohei. And then you get into why you might want to trade him. And the list goes on and on and on. Exactly. He's going to be a, he's going to be a half season rental for any team that wants him, but he's going to return the biggest haul for any half season rental in history. And I think that is something the angels can't pass up in that competitive American league West with, especially with their injuries right now. Yeah. And if they want any chance of competing in the future, obviously Texas is getting better. The Mariners they're scuffling this year, but they will get better. Julio Rodriguez is a phenomenal talent. And of course, Houston's not going anywhere, but of the potential suitors right now, I know the Rays are heavily interested in Shohei. The Giants have been linked to him. The Mariners even have been linked to him. I doubt he's going to move within the division. The Yankees as well. Which potential suitor do you think is the best fit for Shohei? Or has rephrased who has the best chance of keeping him this offseason? The best chance of keeping him of the teams you listed is going to be the San Francisco Giants. The Yankees are far too heavily invested in Aaron Judge, and that Giancarlo Stanton contract is just eating away at their payroll. Oh, yeah. But the Giants have the cap space to go out and sign a guy like Shohei. They tried to do it with Aaron Judge this past offseason. Obviously, Shohei is going to be a slightly bigger contract, but of those teams, the Giants have the best chance of keeping him. Yeah, hundred percent. And he, I think he wants to stay on the West Coast ultimately. And we will see. I think a lot of NLS teams make a push for him in the off season. Obviously, it's not as feasible right now, just because if you're the Padres, your farm system is just decrepit. Like you have no one to trade, especially after the Juan Soto deal last year. The Dodgers, I doubt the Angels would ever want to trade him cross town. Um, but yeah, the Giants, I think, are one of the better suitors for him. They just moved Marco Luciano up to AAA, so. I think they've heard the murmurs and they want to kind of showcase some of their prospects that they could potentially move in a Shohei Otani level deal. Do you think the Angels have any chance of re-signing him this offseason should they make the playoffs this year? If he is seriously con- uh, committed to winning as he has stated he is, and that is going to be the leading factor in his decision this offseason, no. I don't think getting to the playoffs accomplishes much in baseball of course more than other sports any team that makes the playoffs in baseball has a chance to win it that's been proven time and time again 2019 nationals yeah you go farther than that but a team like the angels they haven't been to the postseason since i think 2015 and they've had two generational talents within that time i wouldn't stay if i was him yeah, and I mean, I think another team that could potentially make a move here for Shohei, though it's really a long shot, is probably the Orioles. They're a game back on the Rays right now in the AL West or the AL East. They're eight and two in their last ten. This team is just rolling coming out of the gate uh, after the All Star game. What move or what's your like ideal move for them to really take this team from contender to World Series potential? They need pitching first and foremost. The bats are going to be there. I was looking at the stats between them and the Rays, as you mentioned, they're one game back. They're essentially the same hitting team. They, they slug the same, they get on base the same, they drive in the same amount of runs. The Rays are a little bit better in the advanced stats, like weighted weighted runs created plus stuff like that. But if you want to contend for a world series, you can't have Kyle Bradish be your ace. And that is their ace right now. You look down the line, they're throwing out Grayson Rodriguez, who has shown flashes of brilliance, but needs to get his control under control. Dean Kramer is a guaranteed three to four runs a start. And I think Tyler Wells is due for some serious regression here pretty soon. So that's, that's, that should be their target here at the deadline. Yeah, I completely agree. I think they need a guy like a Lucas Giolito or Dylan Cease who can really carry them through August because August is really when we're going to see the contenders versus the pretenders in terms of that AL East division, especially but yeah, I think they have a lot of pieces to move. They have a very deep farm system right now just because of how well they've been managed these past few years and their rebuild. And yeah, I think they they definitely will go for pitching at the deadline. Last year, I mean, obviously they sold some guys because they weren't really sure if they could make the push, but this year I think they're definitely going to be huge buyers. And I fully, if they make the right move, I think they could easily win the ALEs. I agree. I think that both the Rays and the Orioles are getting into the playoffs, barring some catastrophic collapse by one of those two teams. 
And as we've just talked about for the past couple of minutes, it's all about the pitching. You look at their bullpen and it's great. You got guys like Keegan Aiken and Danny Kaloum back there, some great left-handed pitchers. And of course you have Cano and Bautista, potentially the best one, two punch in any bullpen across the league. So the sooner you can get the ball in their hands with the fewest runs scored, the better. Absolutely. Well, that kind of wraps up our talk on baseball. We'll obviously have more coming in the coming weeks as the trade deadline heats up, including some major predictions. But uh, yeah, moving over to the NFL, DeAndre Hopkins is no longer a free agent, signing a two-year, $26 million contract with the Tennessee Titans, $8 million in incentives. And my initial reaction to this, Gavin, is I think it's a pretty good move for the Titans if they're trying to squeeze out one more year of this window they have. Obviously, Tannehill's aging, but he really gives them a good option at wide receiver going forward. The AFC South is incredibly weak. Uh, you can pretty much already count the Texans and the Colts out of it. It's really the Jags division to lose at this point. And if they do decide to turn over the keys to Will Levis, DeAndre Hopkins is going to give you a pretty good idea of what you have in him as a quarterback. Absolutely. I think you hit the nail on the head in the fact that the Colts and the Texans are going to be no shows this year. And I'm going to go ahead and give Tennessee the benefit of the doubt that they can really contend with Jacksonville and in all honesty, not even steal this division, but win it by a game or two. And here's why. I think this signing is great for Tennessee. I don't think DeAndre Hopkins is the three-level threat he used to be, especially at the deep at the deep level, but he is still elite in your short to medium passes. And the extra attention on him in that department is going to open up guys like Traylon Burks over the top. This is an offense that ranked 28th in scoring last season and they were completely one-dimensional with Derrick Henry. But they did have six one-score losses last year, and I think that is where they can make the biggest difference. This year, a guy like DeAndre Hopkins, shorthanded receiver coming down the stretch, Tannehill finds a guy like that, and I think they you know, they win one, two, three of those one-score games, and they're division champs. Yeah, absolutely. And they've always had – it feels like they've had a hole at receiver for a while, especially since the departure of AJ Brown. He obviously gives you guys, and I think he's still in a thousand yard receiver easily this year going forward. Who knows? But yeah, I think, but I think the biggest loser in all this has to be the Patriots, especially after Bill Belichick had that whole speech he gave to Deandre Hopkins, where he damn near kissed him. I mean, he was just <laughs> giving him all the praise in the world. And the fact that you couldn't even, give this guy a good contract to see like you got to see what you have in Mac Jones or else this team is going nowhere. I mean, the AFC East is just getting better year in year out. You're competing with the dolphins, the bills, and now obviously the jets bill Bell. It kind of feels like Belichick's treading water here. If we're being completely honest. I agree. I think treading water is a great term to use. This is, this is the fourth year post Tom Brady. You cannot be thinking of this season as another phase in the rebuild. You have a young guy in Mac Jones who, as you mentioned, you need to see what you have in him. And it feels like right now, as you said, they're treading water and kind of going through the motions as if they're still in the rebuild. And I don't think they can do that. The terms that Hopkins agreed to with Tennessee, two years, 26 million, you know who got the exact same deal two years ago with the Patriots? Nelson Aguilar. Oh my God. Two years, 26 million is what they paid him. And in those two years, he combined for less than a thousand receiving yards. D Hop's going to eclipse his numbers in at the most year one, at the least eight to 10 games. Yeah. And you couldn't pay this guy the same thing you paid Aguilar two years ago. That's a little baffling to me. Yeah. And Kraft made it clear earlier that he wants to not only make the postseason this year, but win a playoff game. And obviously, bring in Bill O'Brien. That's going to really elevate Mac Jones, I feel like, a little bit just because Bill O'Brien actually knows how to run an offense. You don't have Matt Patricia and Joe Judge just dicking around there with the play calls. But, yeah, I mean, Tom Curran came out on – Tom Curran, longtime reporter for NBC covering the Patriots, came on the Rich Eisen show, and he said Bill Belichick is absolutely on the hot seat. And I'm inclined to believe it, if we're being completely honest. I feel like Bill messed up a big time with Tom Brady not giving him a contract and letting him kind of walk to Tampa – I feel like Tom definitely wanted to finish his career with the Patriots, but Bill Belichick just kind of being the stickler he is, not really wanting to throw around money, really hurt the Patriots, and I think it's hurting them again here. I agree. Couldn't agree more, actually. And I think it is about time Belichick's in the hot seat. Um, New England fans love the guy. The yeah. front office loves the guy. How could you not? It was 20 years of sustained success with Belichick and Brady. 
So you have to give them a little bit of a pass for those first couple of years post Tom Brady, but we're past that point. New England fans, New England front office, it's time to look at this as it is. And your team is mediocre and doesn't have a direction. You got to fix it. hundred percent. Jumping over to other guys who did not get paid. Uh, Three running backs under the franchise tag have now missed the deadline for an extension. That's going to be Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs, and Tony Pollard. Tony Pollard's already agreed and signed his franchise tag. He's going to play under it. But Jacobs and Barkley, there are big concerns about them missing significant time this season due to holding out. I mean, Jacobs and like they reportedly Barkley and Jacobs, they weren't really far off with just like a few couple million. But the teams just were not willing to shovel it out for some running backs who have been hurt in the past, but have are coming off some of the most productive seasons of their career. What are your initial reactions to this? I think running backs deserve to get paid based on their talent and what they bring to a team on a year-to-year basis. If I was running the New York Giants or the Dallas Cowboys or the Las Vegas Raiders, I certainly wouldn't pay them, though. Mm-hmm. And here's why. You look across the league and – there's, there is absolutely no positional scarcity at running back. You can go out and you can get a guy in free agency and a guy in the last, you know, the latter half of the NFL draft, and they can do exactly what a guy like, say, not exactly what Josh Jacobs or Saquon Barkley can do, but they can come in and be damn near equivalent. Yeah. And you look, like I said, you look across the league and every team is in that same scenario. So that's one reason I don't want to pay these guys. Another reason I don't want to pay them, as you mentioned, is the injuries and the burnout. The average career span for an NFL running back is less than four years. You got guys like Christian McCaffrey. They get paid a huge deal, and he misses 23 games over the next two seasons. I certainly wouldn't want that to happen to my franchise. Yeah, and I fully expect Josh Jacobs to play under the franchise tag just because I believe he's far less of a dual threat than Saquon Barkley. And as the NFL's leading rusher, I think he knows that he needs to prove that he can do that again and he can stay healthy for a full year, especially heading into free agency where he expects to get paid. But I, I almost disagree with you on the Saquon part because I think Saquon's a completely different player. I think the Giants offense, and if he sits out, I think we're really going to see this, will not be as dynamic as it was with Daniel Jones last year. I think he opened up a lot of opportunities for Daniel Jones. And, yeah, I think Saquon probably deserves to get paid. I think he is one of the elite running backs in the NFL. Now, is that for five years, four years? No. I think he's maybe a three-year running back, give him three years. Not something crazy, but... I think Saquon absolutely is probably the reason the Giants made that run they did. And yeah, I think you just got to pay the guy. You're absolutely right in your evaluation of Saquon, his value to the New York Giants. That offense ran through him last year. He was touching the football on, I think, almost 50% of their offensive snaps. How I would counter that is by adding a few more points on the running back position in general. Mm -hmm. If you're a team like the New York Giants and Saquon is asking to get paid, reasonably reasonably so, as you just said, and you pay him, guess what that means now? You now have significantly less money to go out and sign wide receivers, which is a position the Giants really need to improve upon. You now have less money to go out and sign Offensive linemen, another position they need need to improve upon. So you have owners and GMs keeping that in the back of their minds. I also want to bring this stat to your attention, not a stat, but the leading rushers from the last five Super Bowl champions. Tell me which one of these guys deserves the kind of contract Saquon Barkley is asking for. Isaiah Pacheco, Sony Michelle, Ronald Jones, Damian Williams, Sony Michelle. I mean, I got to say none of them. (laughs) <laughs> I, you know it just but, goes yeah. to prove that teams teams are winning without marquee running backs and i think that might be where the new york giants head is at right now yeah absolutely so do you think we're going to see running backs like demand more payment up front as rookies now is that where we're headed ultimately it's possible because you have a guy like Bijan robinson who's going to come into that falcons organization and be the guy from day one the offense is going to go through him right it sure is only going through desmond ritter and he'll be on a rookie contract for the first four years of his career. So that is that that is a league-wide shift in how you pay running backs because the rookie contracts are standardized right now to a certain extent. 
So in order to come into the league and demand more money right away, it's going to, it's going to cause some waves and going to take some serious, serious change in the NFL to make it happen. A hundred percent. Do you ever think like we'll see a 10 year running back again? Like obviously you had Adrian Peterson back in the day, Emmett Smith, like all these guys, all these all time greats. Are we ever going to have an all time great 10 year running back who just dominates the league for a decade again? I don't think so. I think with how advanced our technology is and especially in the injury department, being able to track head injuries and really understand how it's affecting football players long-term I think players are rightfully so a lot more concerned about their long-term health than they used to be. And for that reason, you're not going to see a long-term running back anymore. hundred percent. Well, switching over to a lighter note, the jets were announced this week as the official team of hard knocks this year. And I'm pretty fucking excited for this. I'm excited to see Aaron Rodgers, New York, Aaron. I definitely want to see them like go inside his house and just see all the spiritual bullshit. He just has (laughs) on his walls for sure. Um, and I think the Zach Wilson storyline will be extremely funny. I don't even, I just, I want to know what this guy's personality is like, you know? Yeah. And I agree. I think if you're going to pick a team to do it on, the Jets are as good of a team to pick as any in the league, but the Jets didn't want to do this. They, they told the NFL on multiple occasions, we don't want to do hard knocks. And they told HBO they're, they're going to limit their access to the facilities and certain activities within the within the team. So HBO was actually looking at the commanders. I don't know if you knew this or not. They were looking into the commanders, but with the whole Dan Snyder selling the team, that was that was a no-go. Which might so, not even happen anymore. I know, I know. But that whole debacle pushed them away from the commanders. And in the words of Aaron Rodgers actually said this verbatim, they forced it down their throats doing hard knocks. I'm not surprised, honestly. And I mean, if you're Aaron Rodgers, I wouldn't want cameras in my face either. It kind of takes away from your whole I'm a mysterious douchebag kind of stick. But yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, I think what you're looking for and what the rest of America is looking for out of Hard Knocks is a lighthearted show me the New York Jets. This team hasn't been good for ages. I just want to see the dynamic within them. And I think what the Jets are trying to do is put together a strong united front of we are a serious organization. They're not going to allow HBO access to uh, cutting players. That's all going to happen behind closed doors. That's that's in in writing. So you're not going to see anybody get cut this season of Hard Knocks. Um, Robert Sala and the front office have both said that they think the access to the locker room at certain times is quote unquote inhumane. So we're going to see a, lim- a limited access Hard Knocks this year. Yeah, I'm in kind of inclined to agree, and I think. I, I have a lot of respect for Robert Saul as a coach, and I think he's really going to elevate this year as a NFL head coach. I'm just kind of excited to see him give some of those run through wall speeches that I you see him when doing he was on the Niners. Like he was that, awesome. that guy, that guy knows how to talk. He's going to have some Dan Campbell material for sure. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, with all this going on, are you buying the hype in the Jets? Absolutely not. I've been off the Rodgers wagon for a couple of years now. I think he's a career loser, not just a recent loser. He's one in five in NFC championship games. And that one win wouldn't have happened if, if Jay Cutler hadn't gotten hurt in the NFC if, yep. in, in, in Chicago. So, you know, he's, he's got his, he's got his Super Bowl ring and he's got his MVPs, but all he did was bring Green Bay with him to New York and the Jets didn't get a whole lot better in any other departments. I'm more excited to see guys like Sauce Gardner and Garrett Wilson on hard knocks, the young oh, guys absolutely. who bring some energy to the squad. No, a hundred percent. Well, yeah, that kind of wraps it up for the NFL. Uh, we'll obviously have more coming forward, including a season preview coming up here pretty soon after we get through my favorite sport, college football. We're jumping yeah. into the big 12 today. So let's get right after it. We're at uh, Texas. I think they're back, Gavin. I think Texas is finally back. You have to be able to define back, though. Well, what's back for Texas? They have a really good quarterback. They have an explosive offense, and they have a defense with guys who will make big plays. And I think they are, right now, for me, it's Big 12 title or bust for this team, especially with their move to the SEC coming forward. Quinn Ewers is in a full prove-it year. He is the former best prospect anyone's ever recruited. He had... He had Alabama on the ropes last year before he got hurt. Um, And I think he really needs to take a step forward this year. And he has a ton of depth around him at receiver. I think we're going to see Xavier Worthy easily break a thousand yards and walk his name right into that first round wide receiver talk. 
A.D. Mitchell was a huge pickup for them out of the portal. They're returning four out of five stars on the O-line. And uh, Jatavian Sanders is easily the best tight end, maybe in college football right now, besides Brock Bowers. I think they are going to be really good. The running back room is a question for me with this team. Uh, Jonathan Brooks will have the job to start. No Bijan really set them back. But don't be surprised if, and I'll get more into this guy later, C.J. Baxter will be sweeping the nation come November. Interesting. Interesting. You mentioned CJ Baxter. I do agree that Texas has to be the odds on favorite to win the big 12 this year, especially with how soft that conference is just competition wise with the last two, not to conference shame, but the last two champions of the big 12 being TCU and Baylor, not exactly anything to write home about. Yep. I love you harping on the running back room because as you mentioned, their wide receivers, tight end, the the receiving core is going to be potentially the best in the in, in the country. I mean, it's just phenomenal. Zayvon Worthy, A.D. Mitchell, as you mentioned, Jatavion Sanders, they're all going to do their thing. Yeah. You look to the ground game, and they're starting five up front of the line. If they're not going to be the best in the Big Twelve, they're going to be the most experienced, which I love seeing, and I think that. The ground game is the key to Texas this season. You can't go wrong in the quarterback room. As you mentioned, Quinn Ewers, a huge prove-it year for him. But guess what? If he can't prove it, he's gone. And in comes Arch Manning. And if Arch Manning can't prove it, he's gone. You know, they've got three guys that can come in and lead this team to the Big 12 title and potentially beyond. Now, back to the ground game, the bottom line is that Good things happen when Texas runs the football. Absolutely. Last season, they were two and four when they threw for over 250 yards, just two and four. But when they averaged three yards per carry or more, they were eight and two. Oh, and three in games where they averaged three yards per carry or below. Since 2017, they are 22 and 0 when they rush for 205 or more in a single game. I think Texas needs to come out, establish that running game early and often in Big 12 conference play, and really use that as the backbone of their offense because the passing game is going to be there. Yeah, no. And Quinn Ewers, I expect him to take a full step forward and really show why he was the number one ranked recruit of all time. But yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. The running back room is going to define Texas' season, and I think we are going to see one guy really break through in that Alabama game. And crazy prediction here, but I think they absolutely beat Bama this year. Interesting. Interesting. That would – um, <laughs> it's a crazy prediction for sure. And I don't hate it, especially with the concerns Alabama has at quarterback right now, but it's hard for me to – believe in texas over next haven <laughs> absolutely and it would be for me too if it wasn't the second game of alabama's season with a new quarterback and their first real big test so that's why i think texas is gonna be able to break through early and get that huge win and that's just gonna bolster him as they jump into big 12 play i mean defensively i really like him too jalen ford is the run stopper on the defensive front i'm a little worried about their secondary i don't see a lot of big names here that are going to make plays but I think Baron Sorrell is going to legitimize himself as one of the best Ed rushers in college football this year. Jumping in there schedule-wise, I think TCU and Texas Tech, maybe Kansas State, only real big threats to them uh, here. So I think they can easily run away with the Big 12 this year. I agree. As I said, I think they're the odds-on favorite to win the conference. And I like you highlighting the TCU and Texas Tech games. TCU, obviously, because they are the defending national runner-ups not just the defending big 12 they weren't even the big 12 champs they were the big 12 regular season champs yep got beat by kansas state in the title game went on to as everyone knows that michigan game beat the wolverines and get curb stomped by the bulldogs but i am going to be circling november 24th on my calendar absolutely against the red raiders to close out the season against a team that i think is going to be better than everyone else has them slated to be this season No, absolutely. And I think that's a game where that's going to really prove if Texas is back this year for me, especially because, you know, you get to that last game of the year, you're tired, you already have in the Big 12, no divisions, right? So you already have you'll already have like the division, the conference pretty much locked up, you just got to finish it. And if they can't finish against Texas Tech, I will be worried about them going into the Big 12 championship and whatever bowl game they play. But 
I think Texas's ceiling is incredibly high. I think they could easily kind of sneak their way into the – I don't think they will make the college football playoff by any means just because there's not enough uh, big games on their schedule. Obviously, Bama would be a huge win for them, and that bolster their resume. But I'm not really seeing a whole lot of top 25 teams in the Big 12 this year. So they'll definitely be in that conversation, but they're definitely going to get themselves a good little bowl game going here. I would hope so. <laughs> I would hope so. Well, jumping to the other team that's heading to the SEC next year, it's going to be the Oklahoma Sooners. And I know we differ a little here, but I think the Sooners are in big trouble. Brent Venables needs to prove to me that he's that guy. I mean, he needs to prove he's the guy in Norman. He's calling out Deion Sanders' approach to coaching. Like he wasn't six and seven and three and six in his conference last year. The offense just lacks anyone truly special. Uh, Dylan Gabriel just doesn't do it for me. He's not the guy that's going to win them this conference. I do like Jalil Farouk. I like Farouk a lot. I think you can take over this offense this season, but there's no special, no one really special. There's no CD Lamb. There's no Marvin Mims. No one that really jumps out of the page to me. The offensive line, I think, is going to prove a really big weakness for them. I think they're in shambles right now. I don't think they got enough out of the transfer portal to bolster that thing for me, especially with Gabriel's struggles last year. Javon Barnes looks like he can be the starter week one, and I like him offensively. Defensively, they will be very good. Uh, Danny Stutzman is the leader of this defense. Absolute vacuum of a linebacker. 125 tackles, led the Big 12. Ten of those were ten and a half of those were a loss. Then he added three sacks and two interceptions to the uh, to the slate. Um, the secondary is also going to be very good. Um, the big thing for me with this team is finishing. Seven losses by one possession or fewer last year. Four of those were by three points. And that's not on the players for me. That's that's a coaching problem. And when you lack talent and you lack poor coaching, you lack success in this league. That is correct. It all comes down to Brent Venables. I think we agree there. I think we agree they need to finish their games better this season. Where we don't agree is I'm actually a lot higher on the offense than, than you are. And here's why. I know you don't like Dylan Gabriel, and that's okay. I'm not huge in him either. A guy you didn't mention is a guy sitting right behind him. And that is six foot one, 206 pound Jackson Arnold, one of the nation's top dual threat quarterbacks coming in this year and most likely going to be the year one starter in the SEC next year. Now, you mentioned the offensive line and them not getting any better. I would actually disagree with you in that regard. They bring in Walter Rouse, a Stanford transfer as a tackle, and Caleb Schaefer from Miami University of. Ohio and they come in right around center Andrew Rame who is potentially going to be an all-American I think that that pass protection gets better where they struggled last year was in pass protection the run game was okay so if they can help Dylan Gabriel get a few extra seconds in that pocket I think that we may see the offense improve yeah and you mentioned the defense you don't bring in a defensive mind as a guy like Brent Venables and subsequently have the second worst defense in the Big 12, a conference that is notoriously known for having terrible defenses. You mentioned the linebacking core. That is going to be their their best part of their defense. You mentioned Stutzman. He is going to lead the charge there. He's a sack. He's, he's a tackle for loss machine. He gets some picks. Uh, you mentioned McCullough coming in. They've got... Jared Kanick, linebackers will be good. They got to get into the backfield. That is the biggest thing for this defense. They need to rush the passer because that secondary is not going to be as strong as Brent Venables might want it, but you've got to live in the opponent's backfields, cause some havoc, and get the ball back to that offense soon. Especially with how mobile quarterbacks have become in the Big 12, too. Uh, I mean, you're playing Quinn Ewers, guys like Jalen Daniels, uh, Chandler Morris, all guys who can move and throw the football on the run. But yeah, I mean, you mentioned Jackson Arnold. I I like Jackson Arnold a lot, but I like him the same way I liked Haynes King over at Texas A&M, where he, he's a year, he's a freshman. You know, I don't know what I'm going to get out of him. I think you could see him be like a Quinn and Ewers type, where he struggles a little bit out of the gate, even if Gabriel has it taken over. But the wide receiver room really does scare me. I mean, Drake Stoops, Bob Stoops' son, who only caught 339 yards last season, is their second string receiver. I, I just don't know if I can buy into this team, even with a top five dual threat recruit taking over a quarterback. Yeah. And I can't say I blame you. 
I think ultimately their season comes down to the lines on both sides of the football, the offensive line and their ability to protect Dylan Gabriel, who, as you mentioned, is going to be the guy this year. I'm obviously high on Jackson Arnold, but that's probably a 2024 oversight. And then on the other side, on the defensive side, you got to be able to stop the run. And that is something that Oklahoma just hasn't done for years now. They, they were three and two allowing 160 rushing yards or more in 2019 and nine and oh, and giving up fewer. And that 2019 year was the year they, they tussled it out with Georgia in that iconic Rose bowl. Yep. And last year when they allowed 200 or fewer rushing yards, they were six and one. Oh, and six giving up 200 rushing yards or more. You got to stop the run that starts up front. You got to protect your quarterback that starts up front. It comes down to the line of scrimmage for the Oklahoma Sooners. Absolutely. And they need to have a bounce back year, especially heading into the SEC next year. Now, Venables has put together two really good recruiting classes, top 10 both years, but I need to see a little more out of him to know that he is the guy going forward because you are you're stepping up with the big dogs next year. It's no joke. Like the Big 12, you can kind of dick around a little bit, maybe sneak in there in that championship game. But in the SEC, you got to be on, 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 especially with no more divisions in the SEC coming soon. That is correct. You don't want to have another six and seven season in the Big 12 heading into the Southeastern Conference. Adding adding teams like Arkansas, Florida, and Georgia to your yearly schedule. Absolutely. Uh, jumping over to TCU, uh, we just got to give it Sonny Dykes' flowers real quick. Just clap it up for the guy. Come on. Uh, I mean, he struggled a couple years at Cal, and then he went and turned things over at SMU, and boom, national championship appearance in his debut season with TCU. Do I expect them to get back to that level? Absolutely not. Probably never again. But offensively, I expect them to be a lot faster, and I expect them to not really miss a lot of beats here. They brought in Kendall Bryles from Arkansas, uh, who ran a really successful offense with, over there. Chandler Morris, uh, he's no joke. I mean, he beat out Max Duggan last year before getting hurt. Obviously, things didn't go his way, but he is a quarterback who I mentioned earlier can get the job done both in the pocket and on the run. J.P. Richardson is a good transfer. He was named their spring MVP. Uh, I think he's going to have an impact year one. And Savion Williams, I expect to also kind of take over that role that's going to be left by Quinn and Johnson. Dex recruited really well, too. I mean, Trey Sand and the portal as well. Trey Sanders from Bama. I expect to have a really good impact at running back. And the line returns two starters. That's kind of a concern for me. They did lose starting centers. Their starting center, Alan Ali and guard Steve Avila. I think, though, that the line remains as good as it was last season. And here's why. You have guys like Willis Patrick, who's coming in from Jackson State, and an Alabama transfer in Tommy Brockermeyer, who's coming in. You've guys like Brandon Coleman, Andrew Coker, who are already all-star talents. Yep. I think I think they have enough guys to do some little plug-and-play action on the line and be every bit as good as they were last season. So I do agree with you that the offense, it actually has the potential to be even more dangerous than it was last season. No, 100%. And I'm a big believer in Chandler Morris. I think he's going gonna to be able to do things that Max Duggan couldn't. And while I don't think it's going to be national championship level stuff, just because defensively they did lose some really good players, I think, I think TCU's ceiling, and I mentioned this before, I think their ceiling is second in the Big 12 and their floor is fourth. I think they're a very good squad, and I think Sonny Dykes is a tremendous head coach, and they will definitely be in contention for a pretty good bowl, if not maybe a New Year's Six if everything goes right. Sure. I think the biggest glaring issue with this team is going to come on the edge on defense. 100%. They really don't have anybody to rush the passer, and I think that's going to cause the Horned Frogs some problems this year. Yeah. I mean, they got Johnny Hodges who can stop the run, but I – uh, and Josh Newton in the secondary is really good, but I think they did lose a lot on that edge. And yeah, we'll see. I think TCU is a very fascinating team in this conference for sure. I agree. Yeah. Jumping over to a team that uh, another team in purple, if we're being honest here, let's go. Uh, Kansas State. They're looking to make a splash this year. Uh, Will Howard took over last year and played extremely well, leading the Wildcats to the Big 12 title. Losing Deuce Vaughn obviously hurts. There's no way around it, but all five starters on this O line. An O-line that got Deuce 1,500-plus yards on the ground are back, and they're hungry. Like They they came back because they they had NFL talent, but they want to win. They want to show that this team is not a flash in the plan. 
Um, and they'll pave a solid way for guys like DJ Giddens, who rushed for 518 and six touchdowns last year. FSU transfer to Sean Ward will also have a huge impact as he rushed for 628 yards and seven touchdowns, uh, earning himself as a second string, no less. But I think wide receiver is the really only big question on this offense. I expect Iowa transfer Keegan Johnson to have a big impact week one, but this team's success starts and ends in the backfield. I agree is in terms of their success starting and ending in the backfield. But I think that the backfield is going to be okay because as you mentioned, the offensive line is going to be just fine. Yep. The thing about Kansas state is they lack explosiveness. They're going to be consistent. They're going to be steady. The offense is going to put up their 25 ish points a game. The defense is going to keep them in ball games. I just worry that, when you get into these shootouts with these big Big 12 teams like the Texas's and Oklahoma's of the world and even the Texas Techs and the TCU's, that they lack the explosiveness to keep up in that department. However, their steadiness will get them at least seven wins this season. No, 100%. And I'm looking at their schedule right now. TCU and Texas are really the only kind of guaranteed losses, I'd say, there, if any. But because I think T- Kansas State, they always surprise someone. Their defense, there's – there's a few question marks there. I'm not going to lie, but I think they will be good enough to where they can stay in games. They need to be to have a successful year. They, I have three teams down here. They need to beat Texas tech TCU and Kansas to win the big or to get it second in the big 12. And I think it's possible. I just don't think their defense is good enough to overcome the Longhorns. I think that anyone in the big 12 is going to have a hard time overcoming the Longhorns. I agree. They probably dropped that game, especially on the road in Austin. You mentioned the games against Texas Tech, TCU, and Kansas. Two out of three of those games are on the road. That would be Texas Tech and Kansas. They get TCU at home. If they want to have a successful season, they absolutely need to win that game against TCU at home, and they have to take one of two against Kansas and Texas Tech on the road. They take all three. And you're probably looking at the team that is once again in contention to find themselves in the Big 12 title game. Absolutely. Uh, another one of my favorite things about the Big 12 this year has to be the four new teams joining the conference, though. You got UCF, BYU, Houston, and Cincinnati all joining the Big 12 this year. And Cincinnati, poor guys, they expect to be here with Luke Fickle and really make an impact. But that is not going to be the case. Honestly, I expect UCF to have probably the best first year despite losing a ton of the portal. If John Reese Plumley can get the help he needs, they'll be a six-win team. BYU is a fascinating squad to me just because of who they have at quarterback with Keaton Slovis. He's a guy who I was really high on when I saw him at USC, but things obviously didn't work out. And then he went over to Pitt and things didn't work out. So he's on his third team now. And yeah, we'll see what he has left in the tank. I think the other teams, Houston and Cincy, they're going to need a real a couple of years to rebound here. Sure. I agree with you in that UCF has the best chance to finish in the top four of these four, you know, the, the, the top of these four new teams. Mm-hmm. And I agree that BYU is an interesting little case study. Their defense was just horrible last year. They gave up 29 and a half points a game, 172 yards on the ground per game. So Kalani went out and hired himself a new coordinator. That was, he'd seen enough. Yeah. Uh, Keaton Slovis will be an interesting piece to to watch this year, as you mentioned. But their schedule is so fucking hard. They have a non-conference game in Fayetteville at Arkansas. And also on the schedule is five of the projected projected top six teams in the Big 12 this season. I think it'll be tough for BYU to adjust year one. Yeah, I have them at five wins tops just because their first two games are – Pretty much jokes. I mean, you got Sam Houston in Southern Utah. Uh, I think they get a win against Cincinnati and a win against Iowa State, and that's about it for them. Yeah, I agree with you, and I agree with you there. It's it's going to be tough for them to get the ball rolling with how tough their schedule is and how bad that defense is. I'm going to be excited for UCF. As you mentioned, you have John Reese, Plum, John Reese Plumlee, Gus Malzahn at the helm you need to do some work in the trenches on offense the o-line is nothing to write home about however the supporting cast the receiver and at running back is super strong and they're returning six starters on defense so half the defense is back they should be all right 
Yeah, no, UCF will be just fine. And I think in a couple of years when Texas and Oklahoma are gone, they'll definitely be in a spot to compete in this conference for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, but one of my favorite parts about the Big 12 is there's always one team that kind of comes out of there and surprises you. Uh, I got a pretty I got a pretty interesting one this year, and that for me is Kansas. I love what Lance Leopold is building down in Lawrence. Jalen Daniels is by far, I mean, because just because we don't know what we have in Quinn Ewers that I think he's by far the best quarterback in the Big 12. They returned nearly everyone on offense, including Devin Neal. They brought in some solid transfers for the O-line, including former Badger, Logan Brown, former five-star, no less. Defensively, they need to improve, and I think they will. Kobe Bryant and Devin will Devin Phillips <laughs> from CSU will both be players to watch for me on that defense. And honestly, I have them at eight wins if everything goes right. The only losses I really see are going to be against Texas Tech, Texas, and KU. Or, sorry, KSU. I'm not as high on the Jayhawks as you are. I understand why they're the reasoning behind you being high on them. They do return 17 total starters which is absurd for any team. That's 17 out of 22 of the five, not returning though, four of them all come up front on the defense. Yeah. And this is defense that gave up over 35 points a game last year. That was the reason they only won six games. So they, they did get to a bowl game, which is awesome. You know, haven't seen them do that in a while, but losing their four men up front, I think, is going to cause some some problems on the defensive side that already has problems to begin with. Yeah, and I think Devin Phillips is a guy who can come in and make an impact right away. And I think Jerome Robinson, even at defensive end, will be pretty good for them. But this is a team that's built on offense. And I think if you get into a shootout, which a lot of Big 12 teams do, they can easily hang around with you and they're going to upset some teams. I think the biggest upset I have for them down here right now, at least, is Oklahoma. I think they beat Oklahoma. Illinois, I'm not sure of. I think maybe they'll run to some issues there, but I think Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, they can easily beat. Texas is a loss for them. Texas Tech is a loss for them. Kansas State is a loss for them. But other than that, you got Cincinnati, Iowa State. I think they're definitely going to beat UCF. They're definitely going to beat BYU. They're going to beat Nevada, and they're going to beat Missouri State. It's going to come down to that defense. As you mentioned, offense is going to put up points. If you get into a shootout with the Jayhawks, you're asking for a little little bit of trouble. But – Teams like Illinois, where the defensive side of the football is going to be short, you know, short up, they're going to have trouble with teams like that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, who you got for the surprise team coming out of this conference? My surprise team is going to be down in Lubbock, Texas with the Red Raiders. Let me give you some background on the Red Raiders, Jasper. 1954 was the last time this team, this program, won an outright conference championship. 54. 1976, they had a share of the Southwest Conference title. Sure, they had that fun season in 2008 where they did beat Texas, Michael Crabtree. That was fun to watch. However, they are on a list with Kansas and West Virginia as the only three current Big 12 schools who have yet to play in a Big 12 championship game. Not win one, to play in one. And that's all going to change this season. Uh-huh. And here's why. They return a lot of guys. They're experienced. New head coach, Joey McGuire. I love him. I am super high on Tyler Show, former Oregon Duck, who has not gotten a fair chance to prove himself due to injuries. And I think if he can stay healthy this year, he is the key to their success. He's only played in 22 games over four seasons, but when he's played – He has shown flashes of brilliance. He was getting compared to Justin Herbert while he was at Oregon, and rightfully so. Against Oklahoma last year in the season finale, the regular season finale, he threw for 436 and then went into the Texas Bowl against Ole Miss and threw for another 242 and added 111 on the ground. This is a guy that has talent through the air and on the ground. Now you look to the defensive side of the football, you lose your top two tacklers and Krishan Merriweather and Kofi Eldridge. That's going to be a problem. However, I'm looking to just, just, Josiah Pierre, holy English Josiah Pierre. And, and Jacob Rodriguez to be the new tackling stars, both 245 pound animals in a conference that is loaded with linebacker talent. They're going to have to be that the centerpiece of that defense. They lost Tyree Wilson. He's obviously a Las Vegas Raider now. You guys got a good sure. one there. Um, 
but they have a strong interior pass rusher in Tony Bradford. Jalen Hutchings is going to be a great anchor on the nose. He's coming off a 50, 50 tackle season and Syracuse transfer, Steve Linton. He should be working in a hybrid role. I yep. expect the people to improve. I think that all the pieces are there for the Red Raiders, and they remind me of the Horn Frogs from last season. Ooh. A team that returned a lot of guys. Nobody was high on them, and they came in, and they shocked everyone. The key to the season for the Red Raiders, and this is where Tyler Show and my belief in him really comes in, they can't turn the ball over. That's yep. been Achilles' heel for a number, number, number of years now. In Cliff Kingsbury's 2014 season, they gave away 20, 28 times. They went four and eight that season. There was a guy on that team, his name, you might have heard of him. His name is Patrick Mahomes. He was kind oh, of yeah. a crazy, huh? <laughs> uh, But they haven't, uh, what's it called? The uh, the offense turned over 25 times last year. And yeah. you you have to cut that number down. They turned it over 13 times in three losses to North Carolina State, Kansas State, and Baylor last year. And they went 9-2 and two when they turned the ball over less than four times last year. 9-2! and two. So if they just cut down the turnovers, you're looking at a team that is going to, if they can take care of the football, is going to be very competitive on both sides, kind of Kansas State-esque in the fact that they're very steady, mm-hmm. assuming they the ball over. Cut down the turnovers and... This team could very well find themselves in a New Year's Six game. No, absolutely. And I think another highlight I want to do for that team is just their defensive backs. I mean, Malik Dunlap and Dadrian Taylor Demerson are both no joke. And yeah, I think you hit it on the nail on the head where if everything goes right and they do not turn over the football, this team will be dangerous. Another team who I think will be dangerous if they don't turn over the football is the Baylor Bears. I think if Blake Shapin takes that next step this year and is more protective of the football, they could also be finding themselves in a similar role there where they are knocking off some of these teams. I mean, just looking at their schedule, they can potentially have a tough one. They walk into Utah, Texas. They're going to play competitive. I mean, they're going to be competitive against TCU. They're going to be competitive against Kansas State. Texas Tech at home, Texas at home, and, of course, Utah at home. So they have a lot of these big games at home. They could definitely knock some guys off there. Sure. And I actually have the the Baylor Bears game against the Texas Tech Red Raiders circled on my calendar. That's October 7th. The Red Raiders could be coming to that game if all goes according to plan at 6-0, no, 5-0, including a win over the Oregon Ducks. And that would be a make-or-break game for the Red Raiders. Following week, they get the Kansas State Wildcats at home. October October 7th and October 14th are going to be pivotal weeks in the Texas Tech Red Raiders season. Yeah, and of course we mentioned that November 24th date. That is going to be that's going to be that might be the game of the year if everything goes right for both teams. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Um well that kind of wraps it up for surprise teams. Jumping into some of the surprise players. I mentioned earlier, I'm a huge fan of CJ Baxter. Uh 4.5 40 time. He's explosive. His 61280 frame as a freshman. I think he's going to be the lead guy for Texas come midseason. And I think I think he might even be become a star in that Alabama game. I think I could easily see him breaking off a huge run in that Alabama game where he just elevates himself to that next level. You mentioned the Texas, the Texas running back room and how their season kind of is going to come down to how they run the football. If you if CJ Baxter pans out as 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 well as you know, as well as how high you are on him. Things are going to turn out well for that football team. I don't know if I have a take one way or the other as to how I feel about Baxter, but I'll, I'll buy him. I'll buy him. Yeah. I mean, I'll even go as far to say as Nick Singleton territory for Ooh. a success as a freshman, if Ooh. he pans out right. But uh, another freshman or sophomore this year that I'm super high on, former Big 12 offensive freshman of the year, Richard Reese. I think he is just, there's not really a surprise here, but he's going to take it to another level this year offensively. He's going to keep Baylor in some games they have no business being in, uh, especially he only rushed for 972 yards last year and 14 touchdowns. I expect those numbers. I mean, the 14 touchdowns I expect to remain the same, but I expect him to run for at least 1,500 yards this year, especially if Blake Shapin is turning over the football. He will be the workhorse back there. And yeah, I mean, I'm super excited to see. I think there's a lot of talent running back in the Big 12 this year and a lot of guys who are going to come out and surprise us. Richard Reese is going to be no surprise, but he's going to be the best in the conference. 
I'm right there with you on Reese. Huge freshman campaign. I expect him to back it up and then some in a sophomore campaign. You mentioned CJ Baxter and just the load of talent at running back in the Big 12. Should be exciting to watch some of those guys play. Sticking yeah. with the Baylor Bears, a guy that I'm high on for potential breakout year, Monterey Baldwin. And and this comes down to quarterback play, as you just mentioned, and how well they can take care of the football. But a guy that averaged 17.1 yards per reception last year, he caught 33 passes for 565 yards and four touchdowns. I think in this next this next year upcoming, he takes a step forward and maybe becomes the perennial deep deep threat in the Big 12. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then the last guy I want to talk about for me is Desan McCullough. We talked about him earlier, but he transferred from Indiana. Huge freshman year over there. Pairs super well with Stutzman in that Oklahoma backfield. And those two are just going to be challenging for any Big 12 running, running backs to get through this year. Yeah, we hit on the Oklahoma linebacker core and how they've improved uh, on that side of the football from a team that was ranked second to last in total defense in the Big 12 last year. I think they'll be better at stopping the run. I like what I'm seeing out of out of the Sooners in that department. Yeah, absolutely. Well, now we're going to round out this Big 12 preview with some final standings predictions. So here are mine. Uh, this is kind of a loosely based list, but we'll see what you think here. Obviously, a lot of teams with a lot of mobility on this list. At number one, I got Texas. At number two, TCU. Number three, Kansas State. At four, we got the Texas Tech Red Raiders. This is where my list gets kind of crazy. At five, I have the Kansas Jayhawks. <laughs> At six, I have Oklahoma. Seven, Baylor. Eight, OK State, just because, I mean, they just, whatever happened with Mike Gundy over there, they lost so many guys in so little time. I don't think they'll be able to recoup that fast. And number nine, UCF. Ten, BYU. Eleven, Iowa State. Matt Campbell has just fallen off a fucking cliff since <laughs> Houston at 12, West Virginia at 13. They're going to just be horrible. And at 14, I have the Cincinnati Bearcats. I think we agree on the top and bottom as we did in the Big Ten West during our pod last week. I think Texas takes the conference. I think Cincinnati brings up the rear. They're going to have a tough time rebuilding with the departure of Luke Fickle yep. and just about every talented player on that roster. They do get Emory Jones under center this year, but Which I don't think super interesting. It is interesting. It is interesting. Former Arizona state, former Florida guy. Now, now with the Bearcats, we'll see what pans out there. Yeah. I'm higher on Oklahoma than you are. I yeah. think they finish in the top three of this conference. I think they have to, yeah, just solves that that confidence heading into their upcoming time in the SEC. I'm also high on the Red Raiders. You have them at four. I think I think the top three in this conference this year is Texas, Texas Tech, and Oklahoma. Yep, two and three can flip flop between the Red Raiders and the Sooners. I'm going to put the Red Raiders at two only because I really do think they have a legitimate shot to win this conference outright. Beyond that, TCU, Kansas State, pretty interchangeable, sitting there at four and five for me. And the rest of the conference, I think we're pretty aligned. We didn't talk much about OK State, but correct me if I'm wrong, but they have a decently easy schedule this year. They do. I was looking at that a little earlier. I just think they lot like what there was that weird week in, I forget, maybe May, where just everyone hit the portal. Yep. Yep, I'm looking right now. They go into Tempe in Arizona State, second week of the year. Yep. Potential game there that they could fall, but they need to win that at Iowa State. Right. Their away games are just so easy this year. That's my and I think I think that's that's the recipe for a successful season. So look out for the look out for the Cowboys potentially. Yeah, I mean, I, the thing for me with the Cowboys, though, is you mentioned turnovers being the problem for the Red Raiders last year. Well, guess who's upholding the mantle at quarterback for them? None other than Alan Bowman, who I, <laughs> I think is just kind of he has. I don't think he has a whole lot left in the tank, for being completely honest. I agree with you there. I'm not saying I'm high on the on the Oklahoma State Cowboys, but an easy schedule in the Big 12 definitely bodes well for them. Yep. Six starters in total returning Oof, on not, the size of the football. Not ideal. Tough stuff. Yeah, Mike Gundy. This might be the last year we see Mike Gundy in Stillwater, Oklahoma. Not the mullet, man. I want to keep that guy around. 
Yeah, no, electric coach, but I think he's kind of losing his touch with the college football world. Has not been recruiting at a high level lately. But, yeah, so uh, that rounds out our talk of the Big 12. Uh, We'll finish out the show today with a little talk of the Open of the British variety. Gav, who are your picks for this week's tournament or this weekend's tournament? Putting me on the spot. It's hard not to go back to the reigning champion, Cam Smith, one of the best ball strikers in the world on a course that's going to favor ball striking. It's going to be a links golf as the open always is. It's going to favor guys who can keep it under the wind, use the slopes, use the terrain, but ultimately it's going to come down to putting. You remember Cam Smith on Sunday last, last year just caught fire with the flat stick on the back nine, ultimately led him to win the tournament. I like a guy like Colin Morikawa. I think he always plays well in tournaments that require good ball striking and good putting. Yep. You you can't go wrong with Scotty Scheffler. I think Rory will be in contention, although I I don't think he'll ever win another major just because it's 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 a mental thing at this point for that guy. Yeah. If you're gonna make me take one winner, I'll I'll, I'll give you I'll give you a blue bu- a blue blood and I'll give you a dark horse. I'll start with the dark horse. He's won the Open before. He's been playing some good golf recently. Keep an eye on Shane Lowry, the Irishman. Just keep yep. an eye on him. Yep. And a blue blood. He's he's so much better than everybody else. Tee to green. If he can just roll some putts in, Scotty Shuffler is going to win this tournament. If he can just catch some fire like Ham Smith caught on the back nine last year, he's going to win. He's almost a full stroke better than everybody out there. Tee to green. Yep. Not going to be a problem. Give me Scotty Shuffler. Give me Shane Lowry. I'm excited to watch. Yeah, and for me, the British Open at least. It and I mean with every golf tournament, but especially the British Open, it always comes down to Sunday. Especially with Lynx Golf, it is such a mental challenge to make sure you stay locked in. And you mentioned Rory and not winning another major. I gotta. I, I'm going to ride with Rory this weekend as much as it pains me. Uh, I know I'm going to get my heart broken again and again by Rory, but I think if it's, it's now or never for this guy for, especially yeah. like it's his home, not his home course, but it's, it's, it's Rory's time. Um, dark horse wise. Uh, he's not going to win it, but give me Max home to at least put on a show. You hope you hope yeah. he's, he's the people's champ. Nobody yeah. dislikes Homa. Yeah. I want to see him do, do something in a major contend for a while at the very least. And who knows, maybe Brooksy or Bryson will show out, one of those live guys. But, yeah, other than that, that kind of just wraps up our show. We'll obviously have a ton more content coming for you guys next week. And, uh, yeah, let's get it.